Thank you, folks. Okay. Do keep praying if you're praying. Don't stop just for me. <laughs> um, wonderful. It's funny, a long time ago I was a teacher and I worked in schools and uh, I always knew that that was part of what God was calling me to, but, but I always knew that I wasn't called to be there full time, but long, long term. And uh, it's wonderful to be able to encourage those of you who are. That's where you're called. And actually everyone who's out there, whatever we're doing, when I grew up there was a kind of sense that the only the thing to aim for as a Christian was to work for the church. And um, it's so not the case. <laughs> In so many ways. Today's talk is about being prepared. And when you think of that phrase, be prepared, I don't know what you think of. I think of the Scouts. <laughs> I was never in the Scouts. Um, but luckily, Joe was in the Brownie Guides. <laughs> I don't have a photo to show you. <laughs> but she was telling me that the motto of Brownies is, for those of you who are there, a brownie thinks of herself before others. Oh yeah, that's it. That's what I mean. Thank you, Joe. Thinks of others before herself and does a good turn every day. And they're encouraged as brownies to be ready to respond to an everyday situation. And so in order to do that, you have to come prepared. And so when you went to brownies, certainly when you were Joe's age, there was, you had a special skirt with special pockets in. A few of you are nodding and smiling. And in that pocket, you would carry a clean hanky, a safety pin, 10p for the phone, and a piece of string. And that was your way of being ready for anything. Anything. And as the uniform evolved, um, this became more like a clip-on purse. I think it's just become a handbag now. But it's actually not much has changed. Joe still carries around a bunch of stuff. (laughs) And she's still prepared for many eventualities. Today I want to talk about what it is to be spiritually prepared. And we wanted to take some time this week and next week, and Paul's going to share next week as well. We wanted to remind us of some things that God has been saying to us. And to follow up on uh, something that was shared in the service here, back before the summer, back in July. We were worshipping just like we always do. And um, there was a really strong sense of God's presence, which is wonderful. And um, a word was shared at the time that was a little bit out of the ordinary, perhaps not what we normally expect. The word was, be prepared, Jesus is coming. Be prepared, Jesus is coming back. Now often when God speaks into that kind of gathered context, there's a personal response and there's a corporate response. And as it was shared that day, there was a definite sense of kind of heaviness or weightiness that actually isn't all that comfortable for some of us. That's often a sign of God's presence, but it is important, if we think God is speaking, to test these things out and figure out. And so we spent some time just thinking and praying and listening to what God is saying. And having reflected over the summer a bit, I wanted to take this week and next week just to explore that theme a bit further. And try and understand what it is that God might be saying to us as individuals, as a community. And we're going to look at a chapter, a passage in the Bible in the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 1 to 13. Um, So if you've got a Bible with you, or if you've got the Bible on your phone, on your iPad, please do uh, look it up. And if you're here today and you wouldn't call yourself 
a Christian or a follower of Jesus yet or any time, maybe you just say, well, I'm just here checking things out. You're, firstly, you're welcome and I'm glad you're here. And secondly, I hope that this, as we unpack this Bible passage, that it will be of some, uh, some use, some encouragement, some help for you as you just explore what faith is about. Um, so Matthew chapter 25, and I'm going to read it from the NIV version of the Bible. It's called the parable of the ten virgins. At that time, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in their jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish ones said to the wise, Hey, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. So instead, you go to those who sell oil and buy some more for yourselves. But while they were away to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. And the virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. And later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. And he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. I was at an Anglican wedding yesterday. I feel like saying, this is the word of the Lord. At which you're all supposed to respond, thanks be to God. Anyway. Let me make a few remarks about the, um, just the, 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 the cultural context of what's going on. And then I just want to talk to us about how we might respond to something like that. Firstly, don't read anything into the description of these girls as virgins. It, it's simply been translated as young girls, unmarried girls. The suggestion is that these were bridesmaids. Okay, These were bridesmaids at the wedding. Now, the Jewish custom for marriage in those days would be a little bit different to how we would expect it now. And what would happen is that the groom and his friends and his family would start at their home and that they would leave their home and they would have a sort of procession over to the bride's home where clearly the uh, bridesmaids were waiting outside. And uh, when they arrived, and this would happen at night, and you wouldn't know exactly when this was going to be. They'd come when they were ready, I guess. And... Then the marriage, they would all come and they would arrive and they would go into the bride's home and they would conduct the marriage ceremony there. And after that, the entire party would then leave back and have this sort of torchlight procession back to the groom's home where there'll be a big banquet and lots of celebrations and that kind of stuff. Torchlight processions were commonplace. So Jesus sets his message within this story. The question for us is, what's the message? And it seems to me like the key message of this story is about being prepared. Just like the scouts or like the army, or just about anybody who wants to do something or achieve something well. Jesus is saying, watch for the moment, stay awake, be prepared, think ahead, plan ahead. And he makes a big distinction between those who were ready and prepared and those who weren't. Jesus contrasts, he goes as far as labeling the two camps. He calls one lot wise and he calls the other lot foolish. And there's a Jewish tradition, going back to the Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, of of contrasting wisdom and folly, the wise and the foolish. In fact, in Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs um, describes wisdom and folly as two ladies calling in the street. 
He says, of the wise lady, she's a tree of life. And of the foolish lady, she's an unruly woman. Jesus is appealing to this Jewish wisdom tradition to make his own point. It's not lady wisdom and lady folly, but it's wise bridesmaids and silly or foolish bridesmaids. And so the story invites Jesus' hearers to decide, well, which are you going to be? Are you going to be the sensible ones, the ones who were prepared, the ones who got to go to the party? Or are you going to be the stupid ones who didn't think ahead? I mean, there's nothing to say they were malicious. They just weren't, they're just a bit complacent. They didn't come prepared and consequently got caught out at the key moment and were excluded from the celebration. And there's a stark contrast between the two. I wonder what that means. What would that mean for Jesus' listeners? Then what does it mean for us? Be prepared. Be prepared. Be ready. Be watchful. For what? And in order to understand that, you have to sort of turn to the previous chapter of the Bible, Matthew 24, which I'm not intending to go into in great depth at all. But just to summarize, you see, the Gospel of Matthew, which is the first book in the New Testament and the first of four different accounts of Jesus' life, the Gospel of Matthew was written really specifically to demonstrate that Jesus was indeed the promised Messiah that the Jews were looking for. If you go through Matthew, you'll see that there are many, many, many quotes, direct quotes from the Old Testament, more than many of the other Gospels. Jesus, uh, Matthew is trying to say, look, this guy Jesus, by the way, he's writing in probably AD 50 or 60, so it's about 25, between 25 and 35 years after Jesus' death. And he's writing the story down, and he's saying, you all know your Bible, you all know these Old Testament passages. Look at the life of Jesus and look how, look how this works. He was indeed the Messiah sent by God to save the world. And having gone through all of that and unveiled the power of Jesus and the mission of his disciples and the mysteries of his kingdom and the kind of community he's building, Matthew goes into this discussion about the future and what Jesus said about judgment, which is a little bit heavy, isn't it? It's a pretty complex chapter 24, chapter 24, I'm not going to go into it as I said, but it starts with Jesus foretelling the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. It moves on to describing the signs of the end of an age, the fleeing and the spreading out of the Jews, and the coming of the Son of Man. Link back to some some books in, in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament and forward to the book of Revelation. This is all pretty tricky and heavy stuff and it's hard to figure out uh, exactly what it means and theologians have debated it for centuries. And although he doesn't profess to be a theologian, Neil's written a great book recently, some of you may have read it, where he explores some of these passages and tries to just dig down a bit in the layers of meaning. And and he makes a a great point. He says, look, look, the advances in technology that we're living with in this generation could make some of what's talked about there much more possible now, or realistic. Happily to say, Neil doesn't go as far as predicting when the uh, second coming is going to be. And I'm glad about that, <laughs> because, pardon? It's today, is it? Okay. <laughs> from other part of the Bible, you see, from other parts of the Bible, it's pretty clear that we don't know the time. And Jesus says, don't, look for the, don't, don't ask for the time, just be ready when it comes. And that's the key issue that he sums up. Jesus tells these stories. He talks to, about two men being in a field. One's going to be left and one's going to be taken. People have argued for centuries about which is the one that's going to be left and which is the one that's going to be taken and what that means and and what this means. And um, for those of you who are of a certain age and grew up in the church like I did, you might remember a song from the 1970s called I Wish We'd All Been Ready by a brilliant singer called Larry Norman. 
And you might not have heard of Larry Norman, but you will have heard of Cliff Richard, because he covered that song, and therefore it's obviously credible and legitimate. Um, <laughs> so actually, it's a great song. Life was... No, I won't sing it for you now. You can, you can Google it for yourselves and look it, look it up on YouTube later. Um, but, it, but that kind of teaching was in my consciousness as I grew up. I grew up in the church. I grew up believing God. And um, probably, if, I'm, if I dig down deep enough, I probably thought, Jesus is going to come back soon and I need to be ready. What does that being ready mean? And why? And Jesus tells a couple of uh, other parables, which I won't go into now, at the end of 24. And then he comes back to 25, which we've just read. The message is clear in these parables that Jesus is inviting us to stay awake and be prepared. What does that mean? It seems that there's a warning against complacency. There's a warning against apathy and half-heartedness and just going with the flow. But what's really clear to me is that words alone won't cut it. Actions are key. Having a title or a position or a job description, bridesmaid, won't get you in if you don't take the appropriate actions. The bridesmaid's been given this job description, but they didn't get in. And the suggestion might be that simply calling ourselves Christians or even gathering in a church along with others who share that label isn't going to make much difference to God unless our lives and our actions are lining up with that, are demonstrating it. One more quote from the 70s and then I'll move on to now. And maybe it's the 80s. A guy called Keith Green once said, going to church doesn't make you a Christian in the same way that going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. So what actions are we talking about? You see, I think to be prepared means being somebody who's ready to invest in Jesus' kingdom and love those that he loves. And you can see that by looking further down the chapter in chapter 25. You can take this home and read it for yourselves because I'm not going to go into it. But the next whole passage is the parable of the talents. That's a pretty well-known story. To sum it up, it's about investment. In this story, three servants are given different amounts of money by their master who is going away. And the implication is that they are expected to do something with it. To invest it industriously. And two of those three, that's what they did. They were given different amounts, but that's not the point. They doubled their investment through just getting on with the job, through hard work. And the third servant decided to play it safe. And out of fear of losing it and causing the master some grief... Um, or you know, getting, getting told off, he basically just buried it and hid it. When, he, when the master comes back, he praises the first two, says, you've done fantastic, you've done just what I asked. The third one, he says, what was the point in giving this to you? <laughs> Even if you'd have taken it to the bank, you'd have got more interest than just burying it in the ground. The message here seems to be that Jesus is giving all of us different resources and different responsibilities and requiring us to do something with them. For someone like Andy, he has the ability to relate with young people and to hear their issues and to help them process them and move forward. What an amazing skill. I'm not sure I would have the patience to do that or the ability to do that. But I've been given something different and so have you and so have you and so have we all. So it's whatever we've been given we need to entrust, we need, whatever we've been entrusted with, we need to do something with. Be that the money that we've got, be that the job that we have or a particular skill that we have or the time and energy that God has given us. 
So being prepared is about investing in God's kingdom, which might mean taking risks, which is living an adventure, which is getting stuck in. And that will cost us something. This week, uh, five of us in the team, we went over to uh, Northern Ireland to a church up up there in Coleraine um, for a couple of days of training. And um, we we had a great time and all the things we learned will unpack over the next few weeks and months. But... Uh, as we uh, landed in uh, Belfast Airport, we went to hire a car, and um, we got talking to the girl on the uh, desk, and uh, she was very chatty and friendly, and um, I can't remember how it came about, but she found out we were from Winchester, and she started to tell us her story about how oh, I was in Winchester last weekend, actually. Actually, my brother, he's just had to move, he's in the process of moving back from uh, a foreign country, from overseas, because he's got a real medical problem, and, and he has to be near a certain hospital. And actually, as she started to tell us this, she was clearly a little bit upset and emotional about it. And so we've been in Winchester, we've been looking at houses and looking at schools. And actually, and we said, oh, wow, is there anything we can do? We could help you with that. And she said, well, actually, do you know a good dentist? <laughs> so we said, well, actually, yeah, we could probably do that. So we ended up leaving her, we talked to her, we left her a card. And we said, look, you know, pass the information on and if, if we can help, we'll be of some help. And as we walked away, we all sort of had this feeling, and particularly um, Joe and I, and we were like, well... We, we really should have offered to pray for her, and we didn't do that. We, we didn't take the risk. So we um, went off to our conference, and uh, Joe was secretly praying, I think, oh, that she would be there when we got back the next night. And funnily enough, she was. <laughs> so we got back, we take the, uh, we take the keys back, and we, we talked to her. And she said, oh, great. And we, and, and we said, look, we're, we're thinking about your brother um, and the situation you told us. And I'm really sorry, because we, sh- we, we should have offered to pray, we, and we didn't. She said, oh, that's okay. And we said, would you like us to pray you now? And um, the, the girl sitting on the desk next to us went, <laughs> like this. So we said, okay, well, let's just pray. So we just prayed, and, um, and, we, and we prayed for her. We took the risk. We um, risked looking a bit stupid, <laughs> um, or well-meaning maybe, I don't know. And, and, and that's what this is about. Being prepared for Jesus' coming is about being prepared to invest in the lives of people with whatever he's given us. I wonder how we're doing that in our own workplaces and communities. Maybe something Andy has spoken about has resonated with you already. What is it? Let's just take a moment before I carry on. Just ask the Lord, ask the Holy Spirit. What is it that God has entrusted each of us with? Is it what responsibilities or relationships? What talents or what finances has he given us? What resources? Just ask the Holy Spirit now. What have I been interested with and how am I doing with that investment? This isn't in any way meant to make anybody feel bad or guilty. Just ask the Holy Spirit and he'll show you. If Jesus was coming back, if he was to return, what's he, what would he say? The Holy Spirit, just speak to us. Speak to your people. See, being prepared for Jesus to be here is about being prepared to invest what he's given us in his kingdom. Amen. And if you feel like God's given you something there, just, just make a note. Write it in a note on your phone or make a mental note. Let me pray about that some more later. We'll follow it up.
my other point was this, that being prepared, as well as investing in God's kingdom, it's that being prepared for Jesus' return is about loving those that he loves. And the next passage in chapter 25 is um, another quite well-known passage. It's, it's, in, in some Bibles, it's called the sheep and the goats. And in my version, it's called the final judgment. And again, I'm just going to summarize it, but I'd love you to read it properly later. But in this passage, Jesus looks ahead to his return. He says, there will be a day when there's a sorting out of people. All people here, so the king will sit on his throne and everybody will come and they will be judged. They'll be sorted. And the picture he describes is of a shepherd sorting out sheep and goats. He goes flock together and says, right, you guys on that side, you guys on that side. And he's separating them. And for some, the reward is eternal life. And for some, the reward is to be sent away to eternal punishment. That's pretty heavy stuff. That's pretty heavy stuff. But what I really love about it is the criteria he uses to sort them out. I'm just reading from verse 34 in chapter 25. He says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. And I was in prison and you came to me. And they'll answer him and they'll say, when did we see you hungry or do all this? When when did this happen? What's this about? We didn't see you. And he'll say, well, whatever you did for the least of my brothers and sisters, well, that's what you did for me. And you probably know the rest, but the next bit of the passage is where he says to the others, I was all those things and you didn't do this for me. You didn't. You didn't come visit me when I was in prison. You didn't look after me when I was desperate. So the sorting out is not based on words or titles. It's on how it is that we carry and live out God's heart for those that he loves. God's heart for the least valuable in our society. He even refers to those people as the the righteous. I don't know if he's being ironic. This isn't social justice because it's trendy or social justice to further our own political aims it's a genuine expression of God's love to people who are genuinely in need that's the heart of God that's why we're trying to respond in a refugee crisis that's why my Facebook is awash with people saying what are we doing about this not should we do something about this but what are we going to do about this and how do we organize it and coordinate it I'll read you a story. This um, is a book by Mark Marks. Mark is the guy who leads Healing on the Streets. He was here last year doing some training. And um, he's recently released this book called Stepping into the Impossible. It's his story and the story of how Healing in the Streets got started. And he tells some great stories. And I just want to read one to you. This is in the early days of Healing on the Streets. This ministry, for those of you who don't know where, basically they go up, they rock up in town every Saturday morning. They put five chairs out and a big banner that says Healing. And they just offer to pray for anyone. Let me, let me read to you. On this particular Saturday, Mark says... For some reason, he said, I usually bring one bin liner with me to, uh, to cover the PA in case it gets wet. They're in cold rain. It gets wet most weeks. I pull, and usually I pull one bag off, but on this particular Saturday, I pulled off three bin liners. Don't really know why. I just pulled them off the reel. But in a hurry, I covered the PA with one and stuffed the other two in my jacket pocket. Outside the town hall, I watched the team on my left who were all kneeling down and praying for a paranoid schizophrenic who was hooked on marijuana. While the team to my right were kneeling and praying for a young man with Tourette's. The teams were gently and compassionately ministering to these two men with great tenderness. Despite the steady rain that was falling, I stood there thinking to myself that things couldn't get much better than this. 
when a man in his late 40s started to come towards me. He was in a terrible state, covered from head to foot in dried vomit. He came and sat down in the chair beside me and said, I have no one to speak to, but I know I can speak to you. As I knelt down by his side, he began to share how he had lost everything. His wife, his children, his business, his home. And now, by implication, only his life was left. From the inside of his jacket, he pulled out a bucket of poshin, which is an illegal Irish alcohol made from fermented potato peelings. It will literally turn you blind. Whatever was in the bottle looked disgusting, and my heart went out to him, most probably because my father was also an alcoholic. As I was kneeling in front of him, sharing God's love with him, he suddenly began to retch, and his vomit went all over me. The stench was appalling, and my stomach began to heave. The man apologized profusely. He was so embarrassed because he did try to warn me, but his warning came too late. Don't worry, I said nothing's changed. God loves you with all of his heart. You just stay there, you'll be okay. We have kitchen roll to clear this up. And then I realized why those two extra bags in my pocket, why I'd brought them, because he still hadn't finished vomiting. And I gave them to him and he began to fill them up. It was really disgusting. I looked over my shoulder for some support from the rest of the team, only to find they'd all scattered to the four winds. But standing there two feet away, listening to every word I was saying, was this man, was a guy called John, I should say. Previously, he's talked about this guy, John, who sat there for a year, just sat on the bench watching what they're doing, not commenting, not just watching. Watching me closely to see what I was doing. I managed to wipe the sick off me, and off the pavement, and off this man, and dispose of the two bags. And then I went back and knelt down beside him again, and began to reaffirm God's love towards him. I'd unfortunately missed some sick that had gone down his sleeve, and as he put his arm around my neck to hug me... <laughs> I could feel the cold sick sticking to the back of my neck. As he embraced me, I began to pray my best prayer. And when I'd finished, the rain came and washed away all traces of the vomit. Yeah, come and join Hot's team. Hang on the streets. Just a little bit further, he says this. Mark, just jumping down. If this is then following that up, this is a dialogue, a conversation that he felt he had with Jesus. Mark, he said he felt like God spoke to me and said, Mark, this is what, this is what it's going to take if you're going to reach those on the outside. You'll need to be able to love the unlovable. The people who you'd rather cross the road to street, the street to avoid. To love them unconditionally. You'll need to embrace those whose shame is very visible and to hide and cover their shame with the Father's love and to go hands and knees into someone else's mess to help them clear it up. That's what it's going to take. Are you willing? To which he responds, yes, I'm willing. See, Jesus is looking for people who will invest themselves on behalf of others and who will quite literally lay down their lives in the way that he did. That's actually what true discipleship is. It's costly. It means taking risks. It means getting stuck in. A follower of Jesus is someone who lays down his life or her life for others. That's really easy to say, isn't it? It's not always easy to do, but it is what's required to stay alert. Now, I don't know when Jesus is going to come back. As Neil points out in his book, at least it's closer to us now than it was in the Bible times. I can tell you that much. But I do know that he's already here in many ways, and his kingdom is close. And until he comes back, sort of in full and in glory and his full return, he's actually called me and you, all of us, to be his hands and feet on earth and to partner with his Holy Spirit to continue the mission, extending his story, sharing his love. We, we don't know when that will be. 
but we do need to live as if it's imminent. Not out of fear of being busted or fear of being left behind. It used to be a bumper sticker, didn't it? It said, Jesus is coming, look busy. <laughs> but out of fear of missing the adventure. See, um, the guy who started the scouts, Baden Powell, you know, he started it because he was trying to teach young guys the kind of principles and discipline that the army instills. He's trying to teach them as life skills. Not, not for war necessarily, but for just to do life well. And so his motto is be prepared. This is what is written in the book that he wrote about how to do this. He says, the scout motto is be prepared, which means you're always in a state of readiness in mind and body to do your duty. Be prepared in mind, having disciplined yourself to be obedient to every order. And also by having thought out beforehand any accident or situation that might occur. So that you know the right thing to do at the right moment and are willing to do it. I think that might mean taking two extra bags with you when you go on healing on the streets. <laughs> Being prepared in body. By making yourself strong and active. This is Baden-Powell. And able to do the right thing at the right moment and ready to do it. There's a sense of readiness. And implicit in that is also a sense of discipline and training. And lifestyle. See, I was brought up in a church tradition that said the most important thing to grow as a disciple is to work on my godly character, is to improve my sin or lack of sin, to live a pure and holy life. Jesus says, go and sin no more. That's what he instructs people. It's good advice. But what sometimes happens is that that character gets separated from the context with which we live our lives. And the church pushes this message of discipline without necessarily, you know, you've got, you got to live the life, you've got to do all the right things and get the rules without necessarily calling people to the adventure of the kingdom living. And I don't know how you can do that. It's, it's not possible. Because <laughs> if, 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 you if you're just doing that, then, then the message of the church becomes just keep the rules and behave, especially in church. And you'll be okay. You'll be all right. You're in. You're in heaven. When he comes back, he'll find you and you'll be all right. And we do emphasize as a church God's love and his grace and his acceptance. That's not because we're not interested in the holiness and the character. We really are. You can't do one without the other. But our character needs to grow in the context of our story. And wherever our story is, wherever he's put us, in the context of his big story. And I have totally run out of time. I think the last thing I want to say is this. Jesus has an incredible future, an incredible future in every sense. One day he's going to come back and it's going to be glory. I don't know if that will happen in my lifetime or not. Honestly, I don't spend too much time worrying about it. Because I know that if it does, fantastic. And if it doesn't, I want to be a, so much a part of the adventure that he has for me. I want to be so much a part of bringing his kingdom that, we just, that I live it out and it's such fun. So it's a win-win. Do you see what I'm saying? And so being prepared, if God is inviting us to be prepared, for me, 
as the leader of the church, that means what is it that God's got for us as a church? What is it that he wants to take us into? Where does he want to lead us? And are we ready for that? And that isn't about just getting more holy and having more worship times. It's about actually making a difference, investing in people's lives and loving those that he loves in the context of our everyday environment. And as we do that, sure, we'll grow to be more like him. If, you're do- if we're really doing that, we'll be desperate. We'll be on our knees saying, God, help us. We don't need how to do this. We need your resources. That'll bring us closer to him and that'll make me want to sin less. Does that make sense? Why don't we stand together? Go for it. Go straight in there. So the question is then, how do we respond to this? And it might be that today, for the first time, you've, you've understood or you've realized that being a Christian just isn't a name. It's not just a tag or a badge that we wear, but it's a call to lay our lives down. And that's difficult, and that's uncomfortable, and it costs. And so I don't suggest that you do this lightly, but if you think, actually, that's the adventure I want to be on then we would love to introduce you to Jesus today. And so if that is you, please come and chat to one one of us after the service. And it might be that you have been a Christian for a matter of days or weeks or months or even years, and you've got a bit distracted, and you've been thinking about, well, how do I just stop sinning? How do I get over this problem? I've got an Achilles heel that keeps on bringing me down or tripping me up. And yet today God's just kind of putting you and poking you and saying, but that's not what I want to focus on. I want to live the big adventure with you. I want you to lay your life down for me so that I can fill you with my life. And in a moment, there's going to be a chance to respond to those things. And it might be that you've come with a very different need, that you need healing today or encouragement or help. And we would love to pray with you too. We have folk in our church family who are are used to coming alongside folk and just praying and asking God to come and do what he wants to do. And so in a moment, I'm going to invite you forward. But just before I do that, and before we close our service, um, the guys have been busy counting upstairs. And I just want to say thank you and share with you how much money we have to give to Tear Fund. Um, amongst us this morning, we have raised £5,107.24. So the smiles on our faces will be smiles on the faces of people in need. So thank you so much. And we will make sure that that all goes to Tear Fund so that they can use it. So bless you. So why don't, um, get worship, guys, why don't you come back up here and start to play? Um, and... Why don't I just pray for us? And if you want to respond in any way and you want to just come have someone pray for you this morning, we'd love you to do that. If you know that's what you want to do right now, then come and stand up here right now. Why don't I just pray for us? Father, we want to be prepared and ready for anything that you call us to. Lord, it's an exciting time to live and you're doing many things and we want to be up to the challenge for some of us we know that that is costly for some of us we know that it feels like there's a tension or even a fight going on over us or inside us because we know we want to do that but there are things that are perhaps holding us back so we just acknowledge that and in whatever way we can we want to choose you and respond to you Just allow 
the Holy Spirit to work in us. And if you want to respond physically, come and just stand up the front here and we'll have people who pray for you and we'd love to pray for you. Maybe you want to respond in worship. Maybe you have to go home and think about what your response is and that's okay too. Can I just invite you, if you want to come, just come forward. Come right forward. Take a step forward, that's great. Make some space. Thank you, guys. Let's have some folks come and pray for these guys. Let's have some new church folks come and just pray. Just come stand alongside these guys and pray God's blessing on them. Thank you. And as Joe said, if, you, if you're here today and what you really want to do is explore further the call to just follow Jesus, if that's something new for you, we would love to share that with you. And thank you for your generosity, those of us who've given. And don't forget there's still an opportunity to give. Stick your money in the white envelope at the back, in the post box at the back or on the connect desk or get it into the office this week. Father, we just thank you for the work that you're doing among us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who leads and guides us into all truth and who's busy at work just ministering in our hearts now, challenging us, encouraging us, inspiring us. Lord, continue to work away in us as we ponder today's talk and as we just reflect on these Bible passages. Don't let this one fade away. Just continue to work away at us. If there's something you want to say to us, Lord, continue to prod us, we pray. Continue to prod us, we pray. For some of us, that's going to come just as we think and we reflect. We just meditate on that, that word. I just encourage us to go back and read those chapters 24, 25 of Matthew. Just ask the Lord, continue to ask the Lord, what is it you're saying to me? What is it you're saying to me? I'd love some more folks to come and pray. I just need uh, three or four more folks to come and pray for these guys. And uh, if you want to stay and worship together, go for that. If you need to go get your kids, we're really late. Perhaps you could apologise on my behalf. No, I'll apologise to them, that's fine. And uh, there's coffee as well if you'd like to get coffee. Don't forget the newcomer's desk, the welcome desk, if you'd love to connect with us. Bless you guys. Thank you for... Thank you for responding to what God's saying and doing. Bless you. Bless you heaps.